Amen. Well, good to see you tonight. Those who are here in person, glad to have you joining with us online, whether you're there on Facebook or Twitter at HBC Tullahoma or you're on uh, YouTube at Highland Baptist Tullahoma. Please be sure to like, to heart, to share uh, each one of the posts there. Click the notification bell if you want to get the notifications on YouTube. Uh, and be sure to subscribe if you've not subscribed there. Uh, you'll get those notifications every time we go live. Uh, if you already have Facebook and you're following us there, uh, you get those already. And then thank you to those who are joining us on our phone live streaming. If anybody needs that number, you can send us an email at the church office. You can call us. Uh, you can see me tonight if you need that uh, to give that to someone. But a great resource there. We have a number of people uh, who use each one of those uh, platforms. Seems like on Sundays where we're down in attendance here, our attendance online goes up uh, with our viewership there. So at least people are watching the services when they can't be here uh, for various reasons. Uh, go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. Go to the info tab. It's under the info tab that you can download the worship bulletin there. So be sure to get that downloaded if you need these. If you didn't get one this morning and you were here, uh, they're in the windows as well as at the doors uh, when you leave. Be sure to get one of those. A lot of upcoming things as well as we have our children's worship bulletins there under that same info tab. Uh, you can download those. You can send the link to anybody uh, if you want to printed one in person there in the windowsill over here to my right. And then while you're there on the church website too under that info tab, go ahead and download the prayer list there. I encourage you to take the time to pray uh, for those who are on that list. Uh, many uh, that are needing prayer there. We've added a few that you me we mentioned this morning, uh, so be sure to take a look at that. And then also you can go to the far right-hand side, uh, click the Give Online tab there, uh, and you can do your online giving. I say the far right-hand side, depending on the device you're looking at, it may have moved over, <laughs> to the, but it's the last one. Uh, that's there on the on the page so be sure to do your online giving there uh, we encourage you to take the time to do that you can designate your offerings there also as we uh, are collecting especially for the golden offering for Tennessee missions uh, you'll find in the pews in front of you if you didn't get one this morning be sure to look in the pew uh, around the sanctuary I'm sure there's still maybe some there uh, we have our prayer guides that we have there this morning on our Facebook page the video went live so you could watch today's video that we showed in the service uh, as well as this afternoon at about five o'clock our prayer request went live and so uh, you can listen to that after church tonight go back and listen to that prayer request there uh, on the podcast uh, so be sure to do that it's a wonderful blessing each day uh, as we receive that and then also don't forget the information cards get those back to us as soon as you can uh, if you've not gotten one if you need one let us know they're in the holders at the doors uh, on the wall there so brother mike if you'll come and lead us in our hymn of worship tonight I don't know how much those t that tuned in heard of your piano just then, but that was Lord, Here Am I. That's a beautiful song, beautiful song. Thank you for playing that. Join us right now with hymn 483. Let's sing Footsteps of Jesus, first, second, and fourth verse. Footsteps of Jesus. <laughs> Cold 
dark mountain seeking his sheep, or along by Siloam's fountain helping the weak. Footprints of Jesus that make the pathway flow. We will follow the steps of where'er they go. Then at last when on high he sees us, our journey done. When we'll rest where the steps of Jesus hid at his throne. Footprints of Jesus Add another verse to that. <laughs> that was a good song too. <laughs> take your Bibles tonight, if you will. Uh, am I on? Okay. Uh, take your Bibles tonight and turn to John chapter seven, uh, verse one through verse fifty-three. We're not going to look at every single verse uh, here, but the primary verses that we're going to look at and focus in on. We'll get to them in just a moment. Are verse thirty-seven and verse. 38 and so that's where we're going to uh, read from right now as we begin the message and then we're going to back up to look at the context here in chapter 7 in the beginning of chapter 7 so let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word John chapter 7 verse 37 and verse 38 on the last day of the feast the great day Jesus stood up and cried out if anyone thirsts let him Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for the blessing uh, of your word tonight. And Father, I pray that uh, as we look into this passage, Father, I pray that you would help us to see the journey from being an, being an ordinary Christian to be extraordinary. Father, that we would uh, be faithful to you in whatever way that we could to be sold out to Jesus Christ, to serve you faithfully to the very end. And Father, I pray that you will use us in extraordinary ways in your kingdom work. So bless your word tonight. Bless these verses that we just read. And we ask the Lord for your will to be done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So as you're looking there at chapter 7, one of the questions that comes to us when we look especially at those two verses are, are you thirsty for God these days? Are you thirsty for the things of God? You know, is there within you a longing and a thirsting uh, to know God, to walk with God and to serve God? Well, it's from chapter 7 that we heard those words that we just read there in verse 37 and verse 38 that Jesus speaks. And that raises, the words he says there, raises at least a, a few questions for us. One of the questions is, are those rivers of, what are those rivers of living water uh, that he's talking about? 
another question that it raises is, is, can we experience this living water? And then the last question is, how can we experience this living water? So Jesus has already talked about the, the living water uh, back, he's talked about water itself especially back in chapter 4 in John's Gospel. You remember when he meets the woman at the well? And we studied that quite a long time back in John chapter 4 in verse 13 and 14. Jesus said to the woman at the well, uh, he said to her, <laughs> get my notes back up here. He said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so the question is then, is this fountain of water in John chapter 4 the same as the rivers of water, of living water in John chapter 7? Well, in our time together tonight, we're going to look here and learn the difference. Uh, we're also going to discover how to live that difference. Uh, learn this, that the fountain of waters in John chapter 4 speaks of the saving presence of Jesus Christ, but the rivers of living water in John chapter 7 speaks of the sustaining power of Jesus. The fountain of water in John chapter 4 is pointing to the Passover celebration because Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 that Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Uh, the rivers of living water in John chapter 7, they're pointing to the Pentecost celebration. Uh, when the Holy Spirit came and came uh, to stay. The saving presence of God takes place through His Son, Jesus Christ. The sustaining power of God takes place through the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us as we've trusted in Christ as our Lord and Savior. So we need both. Uh, we need His saving presence to get to heaven, and we need His sustaining power to help us on the way to heaven. And so the Jewish people, they love to celebrate holidays, uh, and, and they would call their holidays feasts. Uh, and that's what we typically do at holidays, don't we? We feast. <laughs> we, we feast uh, larger at some times than we do at others. Uh, Thanksgiving will be here before you know it, uh, and we'll be feasting a lot then. Well, they love to feast. And there were three great annual feasts, uh, national feasts even, in the Jewish religious calendar. Uh, the first was the Feast of Passover. The third was known, or the, the second was known as the Feast of Pentecost. And the third was known as the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now we know in verse 2 uh, that Jesus was speaking here of the Feast of Tabernacles. So let's kind of go back and, and we'll pick up some verses here and kind of get some understanding uh, of where we're at. So go back to verse 2. We may, well, let's go back to verse 1 and verse 2. It says, After this Jesus went about into Galilee. He would not go into Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, or the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a happy, holy day in the life of the Jew. The Feast of the Tabernacles was kind of like Christmas and Thanksgiving and the 4th of July all wrapped up into one. Uh, during, the feast of the, during this feast, the high priest would go down to the pool of Siloam he would take a golden pitcher and he would dig that pitcher into the pool. He would carry it back over to the temple and there he would pour that water 
out on the altar of sacrifice. And at that moment, the Levites, they would blow trumpets and the great crowd would cry what Isaiah chapter 12 verse 3 says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. There'd be leaping, there'd be dancing, there'd be shouting, there'd be singing, there'd be great hallelujahs that would fill the air. And it was right at the, this climax of this great holiday that the Lord Jesus Christ stands up in the midst of that crowd and, and with, with that royal, regent, uh, resonant voice cries out what verse 37 says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You see, what Jesus knew when he looked out at those people, he knew these people were drinking from the rivers of ritual and drawing water from the well of religion, if you will. And, and so then after this day was over, they were going to go back to the same old fears, to the same old faults, to the same old failures, to the same old frustrations. What was wrong with that crowd in that day is what's wrong with many people in the crowds today. Uh, they were drawing from the wrong well. They were drawing from the well of religion. General William Booth, who was uh, the founder of the Salvation Army, he once said that he believed that one of the chief dangers of the 20th century would be Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without regeneration, morality without God, heaven without hell, and religion without the Holy Spirit. And I believe especially that last may be one of the greatest dangers uh, of all. And so let's just get real honest here. The average Christian who's saved isn't all that excited about it. I mean, do you know what's wrong with the average Christian? Do you know what the average Christian is, is just, why they're just an average Christian? Because they've been to Calvary for pardon. They've got the forgiveness of their sin. They've got their ticket punched and know they're going to heaven, but they've never been to Pentecost for power. They're not being indwelled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus promised that within every believer, there ought to be a river overflowing the banks of our heart, coming out of us and touching the lives of others all around us. Now there's four verbs uh, that I'm, uh, I want us to see in this passage that gives us the key in these verses on how to go from the monotonous to the momentous, how to go from the ordinary to the extraordinary. Those four verbs are thirst, come, drink, and flow. But before we look at those verbs, uh, we want to go back and, and look at these verses 1 through verse 13 to understand the setting in which Jesus spoke these words. So uh, we began there with verse 1 and verse 2. Let's pick up, if you will, with verse 3. So his brothers, well, that brings up an interesting thing. Jesus had brothers. Yeah, he had some brothers and he had some sisters. Uh, Mary, he, he, she didn't give birth to just Jesus. Uh, there were other brothers and sisters. And we find in verse 3, so his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. That's an interesting statement we'll come back to in just a moment. They didn't even believe in him and what he was doing. Yet they tell him, why don't you go down to, to, to Judea? Uh, why don't you go on down there and show people all your works, what you're doing? Uh, let everybody see. Uh, you make yourself known to the world. They didn't even believe it in verse 5 says. Jesus said to them in verse 6, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. 
The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he's a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. So get the picture here that chapter 7 here is taking place about six months before Jesus goes to the cross. It centers around the Jewish feast here of the tabernacles, sometimes called the Jewish feast of booths. And according to Leviticus chapter 23 in the Old Testament, this seven-day celebration, as we said, took place at the end of the harvest season. For seven days they would live in these little booths, these little shelters as a reminder of how God had delivered them out of the bondage uh, that they were in, in in Egypt and also how he had provided for uh, their forefathers in the journey through the wilderness. And, and so as you can imagine, this Feast of Tabernacles, this was a time for rejoicing. Uh, this was unlike the solemnness uh, of, of the, the Day of Atonement. The Feast of the Tabernacles had a lot of rejoicing, a lot of celebrating. And so John tells us, in, it tells us this in verse 2. John's about to tell us what happened before the feast, what happened during the feast, and then finally what happens at the end of the feast. So notice the celebration as we're going to see in verses 1 down through verse 36. We see before the feast. Before the feast was marked by doubt. That's what we just read about in verse 13. Now, there were a couple of things that happened uh, there before the feast. We read already uh, that, that one was the advice from his family, the advice from his brothers. Uh, as we said, Jesus wasn't the only child of Mary. He had some half-brothers. He had some half-sisters. And here Jesus gets some advice from his family. Why don't you go on down to Judea? Now, don't think that was friendly advice. It may have been family advice, but it wasn't friendly advice. The reason Jesus was hanging around in Galilee rather than already going down to Judea, according to verse 1, is because the Jews were seeking to kill him. And, and so he knew his time had not yet come for him to die, and, and so he wasn't going down there yet. He was waiting and putting that off. And so the, Jerusalem was in Judea. Uh, the temple was in Jerusalem. That's where all the religious uh, uppity-ups, if you will, were. Uh, for Jesus, Judea was the hub of hostility. It was the place that was the center of conflict. And it was growing with intensity by the hour. Now, I would call that some sound advice, wouldn't you? Hey, brother, why don't you go on down to Judea, show them what you're made of. That's kind of what they're saying to him. And, and you can see here that these brothers of Jesus, they didn't mind advising him to head on into this collision course uh, with hostility. And, and no wonder, because as you see in verse 5, uh, they were like, uh, some today who still aren't convinced uh, that Jesus was the Son of God. They weren't sure, but they were seeking. Now, understand this. Don't think that if you get saved that everybody's going to be happy for you. Not everybody, and you probably have already experienced this in your life, not everybody will come up to you and, and slap you on the back and say, congratulations, it's great what you, uh, what you did there. Give your heart and life to the Lord. Sometimes the criticism and the conflict will come from your own family. I remember when I first uh, felt the Lord calling me into ministry to, pr to preach, 
uh, didn't know what all that exactly would entail, uh, but I knew that the Lord was calling me into ministry. I uh, went forward and talked to my pastor and, and uh, had been working through this for about three months. I knew that the Lord was calling me to something, and as I began to pray about it more and more, I knew this particular Sunday after the preacher had preached, this is what the Lord was calling me to do. And I went up and talked to my pastor, talked to my grandmother afterwards. My grandmother had no idea what was going on, and I didn't tell my mom. I went home, I didn't tell my mom. And the reason I didn't tell my mom is because I knew the response I would get from my mom. My mom and my grandmother had had some issues over the years. This is my, my dad's mom. My dad had passed away when I was five, and this was probably about eight years after my dad had passed away. And uh, so finally, a couple of weeks later, I finally just sat down and talked to my mom, told her what had happened, told her what I felt the Lord was calling me to do, and I got the response I thought I would get. The people that you think you would be, oh, that's great. That's so encouraging that, that you feel like the Lord's called you into ministry. The words I got were, you're not going to be a preacher. Your grandmother's talked you into this. That's the end of it. You're not going to be a preacher. For a 13-year-old boy who, who felt that's where the Lord was leading him and that's when that was, um, that was devastating to hear your mom tell that. Now, my mom now is very supportive uh, of me and is, is very much uh, behind me and God did some things in her life over the years uh, after that. But, but sometimes the worst criticism can come from your family. And that's where it was coming from for Jesus. It was coming from the ones you would have probably expected to, to huddle around him and to say, yeah, Jesus, we understand. We, we know what you've come to do. Mom's told us about how the angel came. I mean, they were probably jealous, though, of Jesus is what, it, what a lot of it boiled down to. And so his brothers, uh, they, they weren't convinced he was uh, the Son of God. His resurrection, the most convincing and compelling evidence that Jesus was who he said he was, was his resurrection. And it took until his resurrection for his brothers to finally begin to realize he is who he said he was. And so there was the advice from his family. But then there was the arrival at the feast that you find there in verse 10. So he told the others, he said, I'm not going, it's not my time yet. He says, he says you all go on up to the feast. I'm not going to the feast. My time's not yet fully come. Then verse 10 tells us, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. So he wanted to go to the feast, but he, he goes in secret, if you will, in private. He doesn't want to draw a lot of attention to himself because he knows if he does, uh, that's just going to lead a series of events uh, to begin to happen that, that's going to make things worse because it's not yet time for him to be crucified uh, on the cross. And, and so we see this arrival. Uh, you see something here about the brothers of Jesus Christ. Their lives were full of religion and religious activities. The Feast of the Tabernacles was a religious celebration. And that reminds us of some even in the church today, full of religion and yet without a relationship with Jesus. Uh, those brothers at that time did not believe in him. And yet they had gone to Jerusalem to join in the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. After all, that's what the religious people did. That's what you were expected to do. Uh, you, you get it because uh, there are people sometimes who they come to church because that's the thing to do. But they don't have the relationship with Jesus. And, and so uh, don't substitute Jesus with your religion. Don't substitute rituals for the real thing. It's not religion that we need. It was the religious crowd that nailed Jesus to the cross. Jesus never came 
to start a religion. He came to do away with it. Religion is our attempts to get to God. Jesus is God's attempt to get to us. And so look what was taking place. Remind yourself there in verse 12 and verse 13. Jesus knew what was going on. And so we, we see it borne out there that there was a lot of muttering, a lot of uh, talking uh, underneath the surface there. People were muttering uh, about him among the people. While some said, oh, he's a good man. Uh, others said, no, 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 no. He's leading people astray. And yet for the fear of the Jews, not a single person stood up to say, oh, no, no, no. You need to know about Jesus. You need to really know who he is. Nobody stood to openly proclaim Jesus. Understand this. God forbid that it would be said of us as it was said of them that nobody openly spoke of him. You know, the devil still uses fear to seal even the lips of those who are saved. The fear of rejection, the fear of ridicule, the fear of persecution, the fear of, of driving somebody farther away. I mean, think about that. You're afraid of driving somebody farther away. Where are you going to drive them to that they're not already headed to? They're already headed to hell. You're not going to drive them any farther than that is. And so we need to be more like the psalmist when he said in Psalm 107, verse 1 and verse 2, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let us say so. And so before the feast, the feast was marked with doubt. During the feast, now that Jesus has come there, we see it's marked by discussion. We've already seen a little bit of it begin there in verse 4. 12. But go down to verse 14. Verse 14 down through verse 36. We read verse 14 and it says, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. So while he was there, he gets into a discussion uh, with the Jews. Verse 15 says, the Jews therefore marveled saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, verse 16, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. So the first thing we see discussing here is his doctrine. Now that word doctrine isn't a dirty word. Sometimes we don't like the word doctrine. You've heard people maybe say that, that Bible doctrine is, is dry and boring. Uh, but let me give you a synonym for doctrine, teaching. The teaching of God's word. The only resource Jesus used for his teaching was God the Father. Uh, that was the only resource he needed. And so uh, that when Jesus taught, it was God teaching. When Jesus spoke, it was God speaking. Uh, so to reject Jesus is to reject God. To disregard the teaching of Jesus is to disregard the teaching uh, of the Almighty God. Uh, you can't turn your back on Jesus and turn your face 
toward God. A lot of people don't want anything to do with Jesus, but they'll be okay uh, with, with believing in God. You can't do the same. He is God. You can't turn your back on Jesus because that's to turn your back on God because Jesus and God stand as one. Some say, well, I believe God, but not Jesus. You can't take God without taking Jesus. God and Jesus uh, stand as one. So to reject one is to reject the other. So in the middle of this Feast of Tabernacles, these Jews have gathered at the temple and they're discussing Jesus' doctrine. They're listening to what he's having to say. And they're, wow. How did he learn so much? And he hadn't even been to the seminary. He hadn't even been to the rabbinical schools. And so he, he talks about his, his, his words there, his teaching. Now we see his works in verse 19 uh, down through verse 24. Verse 19 goes on and says, Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Verse 20, The crowd answered, You have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So what we find out in the discussion here and, and them talking about his works, they were still hung up on the fact that Jesus had healed a man back on the Sabbath back in chapter 5. And it had been about two years at this point since that had happened. And they were still mad about it. And so after discussing the doctrine of Jesus and the works of Jesus, notice they go on to discuss the origins of Jesus in verse 25. So some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is. He's speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? So the people are starting to think, these religious leaders, the reason they're not saying anything back to Jesus is they really know he is the Christ. But verse 27 says, But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. Verse 26, so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? And so we see Jesus' response there in verse 28 and verse 29. They wanted to know the same thing that people want to know today. Who is Jesus and where is he from? So before the feast, there was doubt. During the feast, there was discussion. By the end of the feast, we see it marked with a declaration. And that's where we want to come to is these next verses uh, that we're going to look at here in, in skipping on down to verse 37. Uh, down to verse 38. That brings us back to those verbs that I gave you before, uh, those four verbs that I want you to see in this passage uh, that give us the key in these verses, how to go from the monotonous to the momentous, how to go from the ordinary to the extraordinary. Those four verbs are thirst, come, drink, and flow. So notice the challenge that Jesus gives in verse 37 down through 
verse 38. So they had tried to arrest him. They weren't able to arrest him because his hour had not yet come. And then it says in verse 37, on the last day of the feast, so the feast has gone on for seven days. This is the last day of the feast. This is the, the climax of the celebration, the climax of the hallelujahs, the praise that they're there to praise and to worship God for. And Jesus stands up and cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So remember that image that we told you about uh, at the beginning there during the Feast of the Tabernacles that, that the high priest would take that golden vessel, go down to the Pool of Siloam. He would dip it in and he would take it back to the temple uh, where they would pour it on the altar sacrifice. And as that water was poured out, they would blow the trumpets and the people would, would shout, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! It was their way of, of acknowledging God's goodness for providing water for their crops, for God remembering uh, how, for them remembering how God had supplied water in, in the desert, in the wilderness uh, for the children of Israel. And, and they would shout and they would leap and they would sing. Remember Isaiah 12, verse 3, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So as the priest was pouring the water, the people were shouting, Jesus cries out in the middle of that. You know what their mistake was, as we said earlier? They were drawing from the wrong well. They were drawing their, their water from the well of religion. And the next day they would go back to, to all those things that they had been in before. You know, religion keeps us in sin. A relationship with Jesus frees us from sin. In religion, there's bondage because it's from the outside. It's trying to make us conform to the rules from the outside. In Jesus, there is freedom because he changes us from the inside out and gives us that heart to obey the word. And so we saw there what Jesus said in verse 37. Jesus isn't just the savior of the human heart. He's the satisfier of the human heart. So notice what Jesus says are the keys to going forward from ordinary to extraordinary. Here's the first key, a personal desire. Notice the condition that Jesus lays down. He doesn't say, I'm going to twist your arm. He doesn't say, I'm going to make you. He says, if. If anyone thirsts. Now thank God for that word, anyone. Because Jesus plainly said, if anyone wants God they can have it. If anyone seeks God, they can find Him. And that's true uh, for, for the doctor in the hospital. That's true for the spouse in the home. That's true for the students in the school. That's true for the scholar in the university. But this is specifically addressed only to those who are thirsty. The problem with many people is that they just simply are not thirsty. It's hard for us to appreciate in our culture the phenomenon of thirst because we're part of the 18% of the world that has water piped into our homes. We're not like the 82% of the world that doesn't have a sink or a faucet or running water. It's hard for us to appreciate the value of water. But that's one thing that hasn't changed in the land where Jesus originally spoke these words. If you go over to the Middle East, you'll learn very quickly that one of your most valued possessions will be water bottled water in particular. 
Most of the water there is polluted. It's not fit to drink and it has to be bought. Water's like salt. You don't realize how valuable it is until you don't have any. Water is perhaps one of the most important commodities we have. You know, ask the farmer if water's important. Ask the marathon runner if water is important. Talk to football coaches or sports coaches and ask if water is important. In America especially, we seem to have a love affair with water. I mean, water that used to be free now takes nearly $12 billion of the U.S. dollars every year. In order to justify this multi-billion dollar obsession, we now have gourmet and custom versions of water. We have spring water. We have mineral water, we have power water, we have energy water, we have earth water, we have flavored water, we have fitness water, we have distilled water, we have deja blue water. We've got all kinds of, of water. Science tells us that most people could survive several weeks without food. Wouldn't be very much fun, but it could be done. But the average human being cannot survive more than three days without water. It's hard for us to appreciate the value of water. Water may be valuable physically, but it's even more importantly, more important spiritually. You see, before you can really get all of God that you ought to have, Jesus is saying you've got to have a thirst for God. I mean, you've got to have a thirst like what the psalmist says in, in the Psalms where he says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. You've got to cry out as David cried out in Psalm 63 and verse 1 where he says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's the kind of thirst you've got to have for God. And I can tell every one of you exactly how much of God you have. You have all of God that you want. Because he's already offered everything you need. For many of us, that's not very much because the fact of the matter is we're just not very thirsty. We're not thirsting after the things of God. We're not thirsting after the Word of God. We're not thirsting after His presence. It's because we've been filled by the stagnant waters that come from the world. And you, can, you can boil the basic desires of the average person down uh, to, to one of two things. We all have a desire to be healthy. Uh, we want to feel good. We want to live long. Uh, we don't want to be sick. And we desire to be happy. And the truth is that if a person can be happy and healthy without going to church, they won't go to church. If they can be healthy and, and happy without reading the Bible, they won't read the Bible. If they can be healthy and happy without sharing Jesus, they won't share Jesus. If they can be healthy and happy without giving to the Lord's work, they won't give to the Lord's work. My question is, where is the desire and the thirst for God and the thirst to be holy? You ever notice that the thirstier you are, the sweeter water tastes, and the more valuable that water is to you? You'll never have all of God that you ought to have, that you need to have, that you ought to have until you come to the point like a dry, dying, dirty beggar in the desert. You have to have the desire to have God as he desires 
to have water. But if you do get hungry for God, if you do get thirsty for God, God will fill you with himself. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and what? Thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So that's the first step. The second thing is this, you've got to have a purposeful devotion, a personal desire, and then a purposeful devotion. Once a person is hungry for God Jesus, and thirsty for God, he says, let him come to me. So remember that there in, in verse uh, 37. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. If you want to experience the presence of God in your soul, come to Jesus. If you want to know the person of God in your heart, come to Jesus. If you want to receive the power of God in your life, come to Jesus. Spend more time with Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the only true source of satisfaction that you'll ever find in this life. I wish we could call up the wisest and richest man who ever lived, Solomon. I mean, I wish we could, he could give us his personal testimony. He tried drinking from all the polluted wells of this world, trying to find satisfaction in this world. He tried it all. And listen to what he says in his diary, if you will, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 1 through verse 2. He tried wildness, living wildly. He says, I said in my heart, come, I'll test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity or it's empty. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What, if, what use is it? He, he literally is saying, I became the playboy. I became the party boy. It was all play and no work. But none of that ever satisfied. The Bible says he tried wine. He, he says in verse 3, I searched with my heart to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. But he found out, just like the alcoholic, wine doesn't work. You know what an alcoholic is? An alcoholic is someone who wants just one more drink. Remember the, the picture that Solomon painted uh, of those who, who drink excessively, Proverbs 23, verse 35. It, here's what he says. He said, they struck me. They struck me, you'll say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? All he could think of was, I must have another drink. He tried to build and to buy and to buy and to build. He tried work. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 4 says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. You know, we think of the, uh, the times in which we live in. We think if we could just have a bigger house, if we could have more land, if we could have more uh, gardens, bigger gardens or whatever. He says, I tried to build all of that. I tried to buy and buy and to build. And what was the result? Notice verse 11 of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He said, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold... Everything was empty. It was all vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He tried work. Some people are workaholics, and, that, and that's all their focus is, is work, 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 work. And never about the Lord. Notice he tried wealth. You go on down to verse 7 in Ecclesiastes 2, and he says, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. Also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. 
He says, I also gathered to myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, and the delight of the sons of men. But he find, finds out, as the Bible says, never satisfied are the eyes of men. When John D. Rockefeller was the richest man in the world, someone had said to him, how much money is enough, Mr. Rockefeller? And he said, well, just a little bit more, my son, just a little bit more. That's the way it always is. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. He tried women. Verse 10 says, And whatever my, my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. He, he, we know that he had an, an eye for the ladies because he had uh, 700 wives and 300 concubines, and, and we know that didn't work. And so he tried that, and that wasn't the answer. And finally, we read that he tried wisdom even. If I could just have enough knowledge, if I could have enough knowledge to know the right things to do, then, then I could plan my life and everything could be planned out and, and, and I could make all the right decisions. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 12. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. But he found out the more he learned knowledge-wise in the head, the less he knew. And what he did know showed him that everything is futile. Everything is vanity. Everything is empty. Everything is foolish without God. In fact, that's the conclusion that he comes down to at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. You can try all these things that the world has to offer, but if you don't have God, you've got nothing. And so he found that true source and that true secret of satisfaction. You know, it makes no difference whether you're lost and you need regeneration or, or you're saved and you need revival. All you and, and what you need to do is to come to Jesus. So whether you're lost or whether you're saved, we all have to come to Jesus. You see, some people think that the way to Jesus is holiness. They, they have holiness down in, in this formula, if you will. Uh, they believe that service plus sacrifice equals holiness. If they can just do enough for God, then, then God would love me more. Uh, God would give, enough, give me more and make me happy. Uh, and, and he would be kind uh, with his power and joy and give me the zeal that I need. But that's exactly backwards. The way to Jesus isn't works. The, the, way to Je the way to holiness is Jesus. You see, service and sacrifice are important, but they're not the root of the Spirit-filled life. The root of all of it is Jesus. And so if you want Jesus to fill you with His Holy Spirit, what you need to do is to give yourself fully to Jesus. Here's the third thing that he tells us in these words in verse 37 and 38 we need to do. A make a practical decision. So now we imagine uh, that you've been in the desert for several days. You've gone totally without water. Uh, you're almost delirious. Your lips are parched. Your skin is cracked from the heat of that uh, boiling, brawling sun. And all of a sudden you come upon a river. Now uh, think about this, a silly question. What would you do? Been out in the desert, you're parched, you, you're about to die. What would you do? You know what you'd do. You'd stick your head down in that water and you'd start drinking till you were filled. That's exactly what Jesus is telling us to do. Notice what he says in, in the rest of verse 37 there. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me 
and drink. Let him drink. It's right here that so many of us miss it. Because we come to the banks of the river, we see the water, we watch the waves lapping up on the shore, we even see the reflection of our face on the surface, but we don't drink. We, you see, God will lead you to the trough, but He won't make you drink. If you want to be filled, you have to drink. Listen very carefully. The Holy Spirit has been positively activated in the child of God, but unfortunately, He hasn't always been personally appropriated by the child of God. Dr. Vance Havner said this once. He said, the average Christian is so ignorant to, of and so indifferent to the filling of the Holy Spirit that when he does realize and receive fullness of power, it truly is a second blessing to him. You see, the filling of the Spirit has been provided for every one of us as a Christian. But what is ours by provision is not always ours in conscious possession. There are some who, who you listen to the sermon, you, you take notes, you maybe say amen in the right places. I'm sure that's all the people online that are saying amen because I didn't hear an amen in here. <laughs> You're nodding your head with agreement, but you leave the building, you leave the message empty without drinking. I mean, there have been many times that, that you've heard and I've heard that shared the gospel with somebody who understood they were lost, who understood they needed to be saved, uh, who, who understood that Jesus died for their sins, was raised from the dead, understood that they, uh, they would if they would repent of their sin and receive the Lord Jesus, they would be saved. And they would come to that point to pray to receive Jesus Christ, and they'd say no. They wouldn't be ready. They would say, no, I can't do it. Or they'd say, no, now's not the time. You understand what we're saying here? If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, all you have to do is come to Jesus and drink. I read a story one time of a foreigner here in America who saw a fountain, a water fountain, for the first time in his life, and he couldn't see how to make the thing work. It had no taps, it had no buttons to press, and he started getting angry and frustrated, and he's about to turn away when somebody points out to him a simple little sign at the bottom of the fountain that said simply this, stoop and drink. And when he stooped over, you know, sometimes they have those little electronic eyes that recognize that he was stooping over. And when it did, the water started coming out. You see, that's what we need to realize. When you come to Jesus and you believe his word and you're willing to stoop and to receive the filling of the spirit, then he will give it to you. That's what it means to drink, to just Believe, And then he goes on to say in verse 38, that very same thing. Whoever believes in me. You know what the entire Christian life, from salvation to justification to sanctification to glorification, it is all by faith. Do you know how a sinner is freed from sin? They're freed from sin by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not of work, not the result of work, so that no one may boast. And, and we know how a sinner is freed from sin because, and becomes a saint filled with the Spirit, it's by faith. You see, to come to Jesus and drink, which is simply to believe the promise of God and therefore receive the filling of the Spirit. If you believe, you receive. If you doubt, you do without. It's right here that so many get confused. They mistake a filling, the filling, with a 
feeling, an emotion. You know why so many Christians drop by the wayside? They don't finish their race while they drop out of the church, while they quit serving God. What's happened to many of them is they got the feeling, the emotion, but they didn't get the feeling, the indwelling feeling of the Holy Spirit. And when the feelings, the emotions wore off, they gave up. Listen carefully, it's not the feeling, it's not the emotions, it's the feeling, the indwelling that keeps us from falling. Far too many Christians are, are looking for a healing feeling when all God promises them is a holy feeling. And the same way you get the Savior is the same way you get the Spirit, by faith. Then notice the fourth thing Jesus says in verse 38. There's a powerful dynamic. A person is thirsty. When a person's thirsty, they come and they drink. That is, they believe the Word of God. Then Jesus said, when you do that, when you come to me, when you drink, when you believe, notice what he says, the result will be in verse 38. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, if what Jesus said there is true, if we're meant to be living fountains, a, a living overflowing fountain of a river, sending forth re revival floods out of our lives to touch the lives of others, then we have no business standing on Jordan's stormy banks, casting a wishful eye toward Canaan's fair and happy land where our possessions lie. We haven't been called to look at the promised land, to just look at heaven. We've called to, to live for heaven and to live as we're going to heaven. So notice, it's to be a river. It's not to be a trickle, but a flood. It's not to be a drip uh, or a drop, but an overflow. God hasn't called us to be sponges. He's called us to be springs. We're not to be a sponge that just merely soaks up the truth and we keep the truth to ourselves. It's to grow in us and to flow out of us and to overflow out of us to the world around us. We're not to be just reservoirs of the truth. We're to be rivers of blessing. In, in the Dead Sea over in Israel, you know, nothing is alive in that water and nothing can live in that water. Why? Why is that water dead? Because it always takes and it never gives. It's always taken the fresh water in, but it never flows out. And that salt content continues to stay there and continues to build. Uh, understand this. You know why God wants to give you his Holy Spirit? You know why so many people ask for the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit, but God doesn't fill them? Uh, you know why he doesn't? Some people want to be filled with the Spirit so they can become famous. Some people want to be filled with the Spirit so they'll be known as some great Bible student. Some want to be filled with the Holy Spirit so they'll make more money in their business. Some want to be filled with the Holy Spirit so crowds would look up to them. And notice what he wants to remind us here, that the Holy Spirit hasn't been given to you for your enjoyment, but for His effectiveness. So if God gives you the fullness of the Spirit, and He will, He'll do it so that you might become a tool in His hand to serve Him and to bless others. It's not about you. Incidentally, notice the river's never ending. The supply never dwindles. It never runs out. Sometimes we get the idea that if we try to be too much of a blessing, that if we try to serve others too much, if we try to reach out too much, we'll wear ourselves out. Understand this, that it's not the service that exhausts our power, it's our sin that clogs the pipe. It, you'll never be empty because of the outflow of blessing. 
but only because there's trouble in the inflow of God's power. And that's a result of sin in our life. That power and that joy, that dynamic is available to every single one of us. It's available if we would just come to Jesus and drink. I heard another story about some men who were fishing off the coast of South America. And they had run out of drinking water. And they were about to perish. And suddenly they, they saw another ship on the horizon and they, they sent a message over to them, out to them. They said, do you have any water? Send us some water because we're about to die. The other vessel sent back a message and said, let on your buckets where you are. And they sent another message back and said, we don't need ocean water. We don't need salt water. It's obvious uh, that there's plenty of that. We, what we need is something to drink. They sent back the very same message. Let your buckets down where you are. What the guys on that boat didn't realize is that they were selling past the mouth of the Amazon River. And that great Amazon River pours its waters into the ocean with such a force that for miles and miles offshore, the water's fresh. And these were men who were selling on a river of fresh water, and yet they were dying of thirst. See, you have it all right there before you. You have everything God has for you, everything God wants to give you, all of his Holy Spirit and his presence and his power and his provision, all you got to do is drink. All you got to do is believe. All you got to do is trust. So are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for God? Are you thirsty for the Holy Spirit? Are you thirsty for the victorious life? Are you thirsty for being spirit-filled, uh, victory-thrilled, Bible-drilled Christianity? Then listen, just Come to Jesus and drink. Get in his word. Get in his presence. Take every opportunity you have to get into the presence of the Lord. And he will fill you until you overflow and become a river of living water that will bless others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you want to use us in extraordinary ways to be a blessing to the peoples around us. A blessing so that they would glorify your name. Lord, that's what it's all about. The, doing, doing the Christian works, living the Christian life uh, before others in this world is not about drawing attention to ourselves and, and how great we are and how great a Christian we are. It's all about bringing glory to the name of Jesus Christ. And Father, you have given us all the power, all the authority, everything we need, all the power of your Holy Spirit. All we have to do is take it in. All we have to do is get into your presence. And the more we're in your presence, the more you will conform us to the image of Christ. The more we're conformed to the image of Christ, the more those rivers of living water will begin to well up within our heart and our soul and begin to overflow out of us. And it'll be seen in our singing. It'll be heard in our singing. It'll be seen in our actions. It'll be... Uh, testified in, in the things that we do in our lives, by the places we go and don't go, by the things we do in our life to reach out to show the gospel uh, to others around us. And so, Father, I pray that you will fill us tonight. Lord, I pray that you'll create such a hunger and a thirst in our hearts for the things of righteousness that we could not be satisfied 
until we get a hold of the Holy Spirit in our lives and that you would use us as power-filled believers to do your kingdom work, to bring about your glory and yours alone, just being humble servants. Father, I pray for your will to be done tonight, even in this invitation, because maybe there's someone who's here, maybe there's someone who's watching online that they've never taken that first step of a personal decision to receive Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And so, Father, I pray that they would call out to you tonight and asking for salvation, admitting they believe in what Christ did for them on the cross and his death and his burial and his resurrection, and that they would seek you to come into their life and to save them, to change them, and to help them live for you all the days of their life. Lord, bless us in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation number 311, let Jesus come into your heart. Will you come as we sing? Would you stand? Thank you for being here tonight in person. Thank you for joining with us uh, online. We'll be back Wednesday night, 6 o'clock, uh, for our worship service. So come and join us as we're back in the book of Revelation. Uh, if you have kids, bring them uh, this Wednesday night also. 5.30, we have Awana. Uh, great time that we'll have, be having together. This will be our second week, and we're really getting into Awana uh, this week into the routine of things. So you come out. Uh, if you need want to come out and help us, uh, please let us know that. Uh, also, especially helping uh, with the meal. So you have a blessed week. We'll see you this Wednesday and you take care.